And this isn't for kids, though. Yeah, I'm not against it. I mean, I'd show it to kids. I wish more kids <laughs> learned Marxism. <laughs> yes. All right, so I put very little notes about the feud between Rasputin and Stolipin, but I'm hoping you can just sort of riff on that for a bit. Who? Got you. <laughs> Stolipin. Yo, you high, bro? No, I actually don't know who Stolipin is, who's Stolipin. Is that, okay. is, was that the Romanov, like, cousin or yeah. some shit that killed him? He was, like, their, oh, okay, their other okay. advisor, and yeah. he was, like, probably the head of, I guess, some major part of the government at that time. And he was telling the royal family, like, what was actually going on, um, ah, whereas Rasputin was telling them what they wanted to hear, and so they listened yeah. to Rasputin. Hell yeah. <laughs> so liberals. <laughs> Basically. Does anyone know anything about, like, uh, Anastasia in terms of... Um, like what Disney made a movie about? Hi, hi. Okay, okay. That's me. Yeah, because I know like that Disney movie is basically about a theory that uh, the Czar's kid Anastasia escaped. That, that was true. There oh, was, was a woman. True. There was she turned out to be a farm girl who always wanted to be an actress. Whatever. That was true. She came forward saying she was Anastasia. There were members of the royal family who had survived obviously extended who said oh no by as i live and breathe this is fucking anastasia but in reality no they did dna doctors came in oh she wasn't her? her no dude so not too not too Their long body ago body count was on point is what you're telling me <laughs> so but here's the thing there was no body count because the bolsheviks were smart and so they spread them out uh yeah, so eventually more skeletons were found. They found Alexei, they found uh, Anastasia. Mm. They were farther away. Oh, wow. I yeah. did a whole bunch of stuff on Wikipedia that I did not add to the notes because I thought it was going to get too nitty-gritty, but we can, we can talk about it. And it was basically covering what you're saying, like the, what do you call it, like the disputes over the remains and who was who, and then like DNA evidence and all this like forensic shit that's later cool. on. But that's so. the cool thing about forensics. It's amazing is that it, we always find a new shit about the same old thing. That's she awesome. uh, yeah. she claimed she was Anastasia like to, until her death, didn't she? Yeah, for like the fucking sixty years or some yeah, shit. Yeah, the doctors oh, and everybody bitch. else were like, nah. Apparently, some members of the royal family, unless I'm mistaken, still sent her money, was still invite her. She claimed until the day she died, and it's like, no, sorry. Oh my goodness, DNA bitches. Was it Reagan that was like super big into kombucha too? I'm a big kombucha guy. I remember one of the presidents was drinking like a ridiculous really? amount. Yeah, like, and it was like somebody who was way out of character for like somebody who was um maybe it was the alcoholic Nixon? one. No, no, because it was like somebody mm. who what were the president and first lady who spoke Chinese and they would speak Chinese to each other even at like public functions so nobody could hear what, like could understand them they could like speak in private. That was a news thing to me. Yeah, yeah, I, news yeah to me. I know. I, yeah, I know of that, but I don't know that. I've never heard that. I, That's I, I want to cool. say that may have actually been the Reagans too. I don't know though. That seems like a little too intelligent for Reagan. I don't know. There's a lot of these situations in history. Even Barbara Bush and fucking Aleister Crawley. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Which, which may be a thing. Oh, God. Yeah, Aleister Crowley. No, Her Herbert Hoover spoke Mandarin. Okay. So it was Hoover and his wife that mm. would do that. That's yep. weird. But the For any of our listeners, as far as the Bush-Crawley thing, there is a conspiracy theory that Barbara Bush... Kill the guy. Bush seniors. No, <laughs> the that, that Bush. Alistair, Craw Alistair Crawley is Barbara Bush's father. And there's yeah, apparently some convincing evidence to it. I mean, it certainly wouldn't surprise me given, you know, what the Bushes ultimately uh, went on to do. My brother was convinced of that one. He told me, he was like, Alistair Crawley is Barbara Bush's dad. And, or, yeah. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. no, bro. And he was like, 
Yeah, probably not. Like I never looked into it beyond yeah. that. Like, <laughs> yeah, he had no that, faith that's behind pretty it. Much, like, that's pretty much the argument, like the Chris Fa- uh, Farley joke, where he's like, "Yeah, you're right, but it'd be cool." <laughs> <wouldn't> it? <laughs> He'll show you. I sent it in the Discord. Oh, he sent it in the Discord. Check out that. Oh I can't click fast enough. <laughs> I've never met men so excited to see a penis. You got to hang out with communists. Now that is a dick in a jar, isn't it? Yeah, looks like a leg. Jesus. <laughs> All right, now you can tell. Okay. Anyway, you can definitely tell that they, they scooped out a lot of the stuff on the inside there. So what you're seeing is very flattering to Mr. Rasputin there. So, I, I think he's still a hog. It's a hog. <laughs> if, look, I'm not saying he deserves any admiration, but we can't lie and claim it's not a hog is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, right. I will say like my research on Rasputin just in the last day or so has really shed new light on that. Quote unquote Hog. debate. You put it in the Discord there, uh, Ward, talking about Rasputin's dick. Cause, yeah, like I said, I didn't know much about the guy before. And I was like, oh, yeah, just some uh, based con man dude. No, no, this dude's, this dude's an asshole. No. Oh, like I knew he was a dick, but I was just saying his dick was magical. That was the basis of my argument. Yeah. Well, I think Joy has now just ended that debate and she kind of ruined it for you. Sorry, buddy. Dick was not magical. There's no such thing as a magical dick. Oh. Sorry, Sorry boys. Damn. That's worse than the that friggin- tongue, though. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. Y'all are never going to have me back here. Uh, totally fine. Ward, I've never seen you that red. He's <laughs> as red oh. as his microphone. This is I mean, amazing. Just you wait. Just you wait. This is a good episode so far. All right. So no, sorry, Joy. You no, were again, to, to, go back, to go back to the history. Just to dunk on uh, Elon real quick, just because I was like having a debate. With my, I was having Hopefully. a debate with yeah. my younger brother and he just randomly was like, man, I hate Elon Musk, but you know, he's a, he's a mad genius and he's going to get us to Mars in 20 years. I'm like, motherfucker, he's a decade in and hasn't even made a self-driving car yet. Like this, <laughs> you think this guy who's been making electric cars and talking about a self-driving car for 10 years, who still hasn't even been delivered on that, is going to put a motherfucker on another planet? Ooh. I was like, that's also, fucking stupid. Go ahead. Dude, this, so I was, I was having this conversation, the same one with like a uh, libertarian acquaintance of mine. And I was like, okay, so here's Elon Musk. Here's what he did. His claim to fame, right? He invented the electric rechargeable, rechargeable battery which was invented in 1856. <laughs> and he invented a fucking train, but like one that doesn't work as well because there's no way for maintenance staff to get to the fucking train. Yes. So he just had to like abandon that. Yeah. <laughs> but he let the Jenners take a, a little stroll through it first. Oh, and then he pump and dumped the entire crypto community like six times. Oh in my God. They no are so on. mad at him. <laughs> Hey, Hold on, let me just say, uh, the other night I didn't know like what was going on with Bitcoin because I haven't been keeping track of the price, but <laughs> I uh, happened to log into Reddit and these are the headlines I see. I had to screenshot it because it was so great, but they were so incredibly pissed at him. <laughs> I mean, obviously that's what he was going to do. Okay, like, so in our Bitcoin, all of these are within one hour. Somebody goes, I'm selling my Tesla stocks. This guy, all caps, <laughs> let's sell all Tesla stock. Then some other guy goes, I am not selling motherfuckers. I'm buying more as in Bitcoin um, because the price was just tanking. It tanked like 20K yeah. in a day or something. And then somebody goes, the bull run is over. Like, you know, the, the happy times are done. And then uh, the last one was this guy. He goes, the fact that Elon can influence the price so much tells me how many sheep there are. Like, they're so pissed. They were so mad. 
You want to know what's particularly special about this uh, pump and dump is the fact that how a pump and dump works is you really only need media coverage on the front end because you buy it cheap, you build a bunch of hype, and then once you make your profit, you just dump off. You don't even have to say shit because it does you no good. So the fact that not only did he dump, he goes on Twitter and everywhere else and starts shitting on it and just like, we're no longer accepting it. It just takes it for no reason. It makes it 10 times worse. Like, it's the ultimate fucking troll. I'm surprised he hasn't got shot. I mean, I just love it because he's trolling his own diehard dumbass fans and not like the people who actually hate him. Like, He's making all his enemies happy. I don't know what his motivation is doing other than obviously profit, but like yeah. at the expense of like, they literally are the source of his profit. I talk about it all the time, but that Trash Future episode where they talked about his unique arrangement and contract with Tesla, where his salary is directly tied to the stock price. So the more it goes up, the more money he makes. And that's why yeah. his wealth is always so crazily fluctuating. And it's like, it behooves him to be dramatic and a troll on Twitter because then all his fans are like, Fuck you, Libs. Uh, I'm going to trigger the Libs by spending my whole paycheck on Tesla stock this week. And they do. And then the price goes up and like they're happy because Daddy Musk is happy. Like it's it's pathetic. Dude, Tesla, like if I recall correctly, like Tesla wasn't even profitable in 2020 because of selling cars. Like they're not no, profitable it was only for- because of their their Bitcoin profits and selling carbon credits yeah they they crush on the credits which is just like hey we're a green company so we're going to create a racket so everyone else can pollute like a motherfucker basically the truth is tesla is probably one of like if you really sat down and did the math it's probably one of the biggest polluters in the audio industry if not the biggest you know just based on how much that they legally allow other companies to pollute I mean, I guess the only reason they have credits to spare is because they have electric cars, so they're not responsible for as much pollution, but then they just sell it to everybody else. So it's like, what's the, of the fucking point? Like, yeah, they get a disproportionate amount because they're supposed to be a green, supposedly green company, and then they just sell those off. Why do I get the feeling that they're not factoring in any of the waste from the batteries or solar panels when they're um, factoring in how green Tesla is? Well, you know, Mike, if you had a problem with that, you should have just supported the Bolivian coup. <laughs> so that we could have more readily available lithium. Yeah, yeah we just coo whoever we want. Deal with it. Think about what side of history you're on. Is all I'm saying. Okay, can we stop talking about this absolute lunatic Elon Musk and get to this decent individual looking Gregory Rasputin? <laughs> oof, 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 oof. All right, yeah, we can get started. It's a good idea. Stand up, guy. <laughs> Amazing. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Turn Left This Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him. And tonight I'm here with Jaron, Sterling, and Ward, also he, him. How you guys doing? Awesome. Doing good. Welcome back, everybody. You know, good to be doing this again. We unfortunately lost a week. We lost an episode that Ward and I recorded last week. But uh, so that's why we're behind. We'll do a little housekeeping in, the, in a minute. But then also, our guest tonight is Ward's wife, Joy. How you doing, Joy? How are y'all doing? Good, good. Good to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Joy's pronouns are she, her as well. Um, so just out of the way, I wanted to say like, 
you know, apologies for any of our listeners who noticed that we missed an episode this past week. So like I was saying a bit ago, Ward and I recorded an episode, but then lost that one. It was uh, a mix of a corrupted audio file and some technical issues, but then also the subject matter. Uh, we had to not release it anyway because um, we had on a guest to talk about direct actions and then realized later on that she was going to reveal too much personal information in that episode and uh, could potentially <laughs> get herself in trouble. So that one will not see the light of day. But if you'll forgive us for being a week behind, we will now continue hopefully as scheduled. And again, I know we've been promising it for a while, but we will hopefully get to two episodes a week for our premium subscribers uh, on the Patreon. So that being said, tonight our topic at hand is Rasputin. And we want to talk a bit about the SARS as well, but mostly Rasputin. I will say that I myself did not know much about Rasputin before having done some of the research for this episode. I just had a vague impression that he was this mysterious character who, you know, got very close to the royal family and was some, there was some mysticism or hints of uh, magic involved or whatever you would call it. And then it was pretty interesting to do the research and find out, you know, the truth and like the real world explanations for any of the things that were supposedly chalked up to sorcery or supernatural things going on there. But... I also had the impression that he was like this character that people kind of revered in a weird way. And I didn't know why that was. I figured it was just because maybe he's this like lowly guy who came from nothing and then ended up in the close circle of the royal family and like conned his way into that, which is kind of uh, admirable, I guess you could say, if you're not a fan of rich people, which we aren't. But then I didn't realize he was like a, yeah, Rasputin was a rapist. I'll just put it out there. Rasputin was a big fucking rapist and just a total sexual predator. Uh, So definitely not a guy to be looked up to or anybody we would call based. But we will just talk a bit about the mystery around him, uh, circumstances around his life, and basically the life and times of Rasputin and the royal family in Russia. So, that being said, did anybody have anything they want to add before I jump into the stuff that I have here? Go ahead, Joy. Because I know apparently y'all talked about it before. He did not have a magical dick. It was not magical, <laughs> Ward. It was not magical. Hey! Uh, he was a con man. He was a fraud. He was a piece of shit. Yes, he was a sexual predator. Going to more of that later. And also to preface this, all this is my own research that I've done over the years because I have a weird fascination with history. But again, not a magical penis. Did they preserve it? They did preserve it. Yes. So there's a story. There's a story. Let me get a picture. There is a story about how they got it. And it's actually, it would be heartbreaking if he wasn't such a piece of shit. And if the Zars weren't such pieces of shit without even realizing they were pieces of shit for the longest time. But we can get into that later if you guys want. I mean, you have to tell the Rasputin dick story now. Like, okay, so it's not really a dick story. So, um, why is his dick preserved? Like, that's a hell of a place to start the episode. Like, we have to do that. So, how they got it um, after the royal family was put into house arrest the first time at the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg. That was like their main place that they like to live, which is actually a bunch of different little palaces. Little. Um, The soldiers found out where they had buried Grigori on the palace lawn, I guess. And they went out and they actually dug him up, desecrated the tomb, dismembered him quite literally in like full view of the palace, just as a slap in the face to the Tsarina, Alexandra. Based. Fuck her. Dude, it's, so big. Probably the white army though. Or was it the Bolsheviks? It was the Bolshevik. Well, it was probably the Bolsheviks because I think that the white army was still trying to figure out Stuff along the line and getting mm-hmm. Russia under control in the first place. Base Bolsheviks. I might have that switched around. Again, it's all just stuff that I've done on my own. I have a high school education. Cut me some slack. <laughs> all right, so let's start off with the notes here. We'll start off with Rasputin's uh, early life. 
So just there's very little known about his early life. All that was known is that he was not very religious. I guess he was somewhat religious, but not super religious as he became later on. And he was already kind of a womanizer, a bit of a criminal. And he was just a peasant farmer. He lived in his parents' house with his wife. And I think they had one child at the time. When it was age 28, Rasputin developed a renewed interest in religion. And he left his wife and his first son to go on a pilgrimage. His reasons are unclear. Fuck them according kids. to some sources. <laughs> Sorry. His reasons are unclear. According to some sources, Rasputin left the village to escape punishment for his role in a horse theft. Uh, other sources suggest he had a vision of the Virgin Mary or of St. Simeon of... Oh, Jesus, these Russian names are going to kill me tonight. St. Simeon of Verkoturie. Doesn't matter. Uh, St. <laughs> Simeon. While still others suggest that Rasputin's pilgrimage was inspired by a young theological student, Meliti... Meliti I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to read these Russian names. I omitted, like, all the names out of the research yeah. I did. Like, I'm like, not even going to try <laughs> Uh, while still others suggest that Rasputin's pilgrimage was inspired by another young theological student. Whatever his reasons, Rasputin cast off his old life. He was 28, married for 10 years with an infant son and another child on the way. According to Douglas Smith, his decision, quote, could only have been occasioned by some sort of emotional or spiritual crisis, end quote. The whole reason I even mentioned this pilgrimage in particular is because Rasputin had undertaken earlier, shorter pilgrimages, but his visit to the St. Nicholas Monastery in 1897 transformed him. There he met and was, quote, profoundly humbled by a staretz, or elder, known as Makari. Rasputin may have spent several months at this, what do you call it, where monks are? Because I'm not going to say monast- that. There you a go, monastery? Verkoturie, yeah, I guess? I will just clip you saying that into my reading every time that comes up. <laughs> do you want me to deepen my voice? <laughs> so Rasputin may have, sent, may have spent several months at, at the monastery, and it was perhaps here that he learned to read and write. But he later complained about the monastery, claiming that some of the monks engaged in homosexuality and criticizing monastic life as too coercive. Dope. I know, I was going to say, how are you going to criticize those monks for being dope? <laughs> he returned to his hometown a changed man, looking disheveled and behaving differently. He became a vegetarian, he swore off alcohol, and prayed and sang much more fervently than he had in the past. And by the early 1900s, just a couple years later, Rasputin had developed a small circle of followers, primarily family members and other local peasants, who prayed with him on Sundays and other holy days when he was in... Go ahead, Joy. Broskoye. There you go. Thank you. Broskoye. There's um, obviously a K in there. Come on, man. <laughs> there's two of them. Pokrovskoye. There you go. If there's anybody who is Russian who listens to this podcast, please rate my pronunciations. I want to know. Yeah, and if so, I apologize uh, now in, in advance. I, I should also note that people should check out uh, Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast. Um, I listened to those again in preparation for this episode because he has three episodes that cover the Star family and uh, Rasputin in particular. And those are 10.49, 10.50, and 10.51. They're actually fairly recent episodes as well. So definitely check those out. They're very good. Oh, yeah. I will. Did Rasputin have like a position in the Orthodox Church or was he just kind of like, nah, I'm going to freelance Orthodoxy? <laughs> From what I understand, he was just like, some kind of unofficial holy man, but at that time it was perfect because people wanted someone who had come from the peasantry and it like it fit the narrative of that time. It would be like like a televangelist now and how they fit so well with American culture. It's just like that. Like he was a peasant who came from nothing, wormed himself into the royal family, so he must have something special about him. And you know, he was also very charismatic. That's the big thing about him is like people follow this guy because he just was some kind of figure that people clung to and they liked him so much that they wanted to follow him. Um, so I don't know as far as like his official capacity, but 
Yeah, coming from the poorest of the poor, he was able to become very, very close to the royal family just because of his personality and just the way that he was. Uh, did you have something to add to that, Joy? I feel like you could probably explain what his actual had, position was. So you were basically right. He was basically a televangelist. He used his charm and his char- his charisma to really like get in there. He had a very calming voice, apparently. Obviously, I wouldn't know for my own experience. But I was going to say that there are rumors out there amongst historians and there's actually i don't i don't know if y'all any of y'all watched it but the last czars on netflix awesome documentary i watched it a lot of it i didn't know about and that's because i had done my own research it's like hmm i'm gonna check in on that and a lot of it was true i mean historically true there are some stuff that they kind of you know alluded to or like hey this could have been something this is something that was said a lot amongst the people it was that he found himself at one point in a very sex cultish branch of the Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nuts. Like apparently they would go and they just basically one big orgy. It was said that like at some of their like religious holidays, they would like cut off the breast of a virgin and eat it like crazy shit. Jesus. Yeah, it was nuts. And it was Fuck after him. this that he really started like going around healing people it was mm-hmm. after he had like multiple um like religious awakenings throughout his life some people say you had mentioned earlier that he saw the virgin mary at one point and uh some say it happened when he was a child some say that happened it's hard because he was a nobody up until he was 30 and so nobody could say hey this happened or this didn't yeah nobody knows if he was actually a part of this sex cult or not but there have been obviously word of mouth like oh no he was there yeah he did this and this and then he headed to st petersburg i did hear that from the revolutions podcast as well he mentioned that the reason like when he gained that following in his hometown after going on his pilgrimage that it was rumored that that was part of that sex culty sect of the russian orthodox church or whatever it was at the time um but he said in that episode that there was not any real proof to back that up it's just kind of hearsay but also that actually is true about most of rasputin's history as far as his life before any like official documents started to be written about what his involvement with the royal family was like nobody knows anything for sure about his early life it's hard because nobody really cared. And then when they did care, they didn't like him. So it's like, all right, well, fuck yeah. this dude. He, it's kind of like, hey, he probably did this and this. And it became, oh, he definitely did this and this. It doesn't negate the fact he was a piece of shit, but there's no way to tell whether or not he really ate it. You know what I mean? But then also getting to your question, Jaron, in my notes here, I have sort of how he became engaged with the royal family to begin with. And it says, Rasputin first met the Tsar on November 1st, 1905 at the Peterhof Palace. The Tsar recorded the event in his diary, writing that he and Alexandra had, quote, made the acquaintance of a man of God, Grigory from the Tobolsk province, end quote. Rasputin returned to Pokrovskoye shortly after their first meeting and did not return to St. Petersburg until July 1906. On his return, Rasputin sent Nicholas a telegram asking to present the Tsar with an icon of Simeon. Uh, he met with Nicholas and Alexandra on July 18th and again in October when he first met their children. At some point, the royal family became convinced that Rasputin possessed miraculous power to heal Alexei. Historians disagree over when. Now, Alexei, their son, was a hemophiliac, and he was their only son. They had four daughters, and then they had their son, and, you know, patriarchal lineage of royalty, you've got to have a son, you've got to have an heir. So it was a big deal to keep this kid alive, and potentially anything could kill him. If he just fell and bumped anything the wrong way, he could just bleed to death, and that would be the end of the Romanov line. He was in this really, and again, I'm just going to reference Revolution's podcast because he does a really good job covering this, but basically 
Alexa had this really weird existence where he was royalty, so nobody would discipline him when he was doing anything, except when he was doing something that might endanger himself, which was just about everything. So he wasn't allowed to like be rough, he wasn't allowed to play with other kids, he wasn't allowed to do anything kids are supposed to be able to do, but he also was royalty. So he was able to do all these things that kids are never able to do, like yell at adults and have all these hissy fits and just like be a fucking little tyrant. And nobody would stop him because they felt bad about having to limit him from all the other things he should be able to do as a kid because of his condition. Yeah, real strange. Go ahead, Stoney. I was just going to say, and I know a lot of our notes are going to kind of fall on top of each other. So just since we're kind of in this time period, I can kind of plug some of the stuff that I had. Yeah, please. When Rasputin arrived in St. Petersburg, which was around 1904, 1905, this was actually right before... They created the parliament known as the Duma. Mm-hmm. So the Duma was basically after a revolution had, you know, kind of broke out in St. Petersburg and failed. The czars were really worried about losing power. They, they feared another revolution was coming. They barely, you know, stopped the one before. And I actually got some even writings about Lenin, who talks about the, the prior revolution that failed that I can plug in here afterwards. But uh, Tsar Nicholas believed that if he created this parliament known as the Duma, which basically had ultimate say-so of what laws actually went into effect, that he would look less like a dictator, less like a monarch, and he would prevent another revolution from occurring. So the Duma actually apparently had a little bit of success. Rasputin actually, as he moved further through the favor of the Tsars, started even getting some of his friends into the Duma and he started putting his friends into various other positions of uh, power and influence. And that's probably what Rasputin's late game would have been had he not have been massacred is just, you know, trying to have all of his followers in these types of positions. But obviously that never actually happened. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I, the reason I got so excited was the fact I could not remember what it was called. So it's like, yes, that's oh, it. I'm sorry. Duma. And also, uh, no fun problem. fact, there were two attempts on his life. One was actually back in his hometown by an old woman stabbed him in the gut saying that he was full of black magic and evil. Yep. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, even though it was like, you know, 1900 small village, he survived despite blood loss and being stabbed in the gut. Yeah, it was the second him. death. Yeah. It was the second death yeah, that really got him. Yeah, he survived a lot of crazy shit. I mean, the lady who stabbed him, and again, so much of this is like urban legends, but there are a lot of accounts that when she stabbed him, she even pulled out his lower intestines out of his stomach. Yeah, and he still managed to get away and survive. Yeah, it's crazy. I do have like a Um, small section on that assassination attempt and then the successful one when he actually died. But uh, did you want to continue, Sterling? Yeah, I had some stuff about Alexei I wanted to jump into. So. You know, uh, Alexei was believed by Tsar Nicholson to be the the leader that would take his place and basically fulfill everything that Tsar Nicholson was not able to fulfill when he ascended to the throne. I like how you call him Tsar Nicholson, like he's Jack's, you know, relative or something. God damn it. Tsar Nicholas. Sorry. Fucking lib. My apologies. His nickname was Nikki. (laughs) Try that. Here's Nikki. Tsar Nikki. To the Tsar's dismay, Alexei had a serious medical condition, as you were talking about, hemophilia, which was not very well understood at this time. This disease, of course, causes a person's blood not to properly clot, which usually results in them bleeding to death, either from minor wounds or even internal bleeding. 
At about 11 years old, Alexi was getting much worse, and the Tsar's doctors weren't having much success caring for him. Alexi was rarely able to get out of bed and usually had very serious fevers due to his condition. At this time, most doctors actually just use aspirin all over the place, like some kind of like miracle cure-all drug, especially in you know conditions they were unfamiliar with that just weren't properly documented. And they were loading this kid up with aspirin. The worst thing to do. Like, I mean, that's basically the American healthcare plan. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So you know, for no, they weren't charging them an exorbitant amount for the aspirin. So not quite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> aspirin uh, increases blood flow, and that is definitely not what you want going on if your blood doesn't clot. Yeah, the blood thinner. Yeah, these doctors were literally accidentally slowly killing Alexi. And Rasputin, either by blind luck or perhaps randomly actually some bit of knowledge of hemophilia, commanded the Tsars to keep the doctors away and commanded they were the primary issue in Alexei's recovery, which technically was correct. Um, Rasputin carried on with bizarre treatments and ceremonies around Alexei for the next several weeks. And during this time, Alexei obviously was no longer taking aspirin because the doctors weren't allowed near him. He was actually recovering, and everyone thought Rasputin was this fucking magic healer man. And, you know, I'm sure we'll jump into it more, but at this point, once it actually looked like they were healing the fucking Tsar's son, I mean, it was, anything went. It was inevitable that he was going to have insane favor. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point of not only being allowed to fuck uh, the Tsar's wife, Alexandra, like at any, any point he wanted, but... It's also speculated that he had permission to fuck the kids, Oof. some of which extremely young. Jesus. Yeah, like there's there's actually quite a few um, accusations of uh, Rasputin being a pedophile. What you got, Joy? Go ahead. He was a pedophile. He was a molester. There's no concrete evidence that he ever fucked the Tsarina or her daughters. But I can't mm. deny it. So it was all still up in the air. Anyway, but going back to what you were saying, it wouldn't be a um, character for him from what we know about him. It wouldn't. Yeah. It would. I literally just told a story about him groping some 16 year old. So, yeah, but the Tsarina actually had a lot riding on the Tsarevich just because a it was her one heir that she produced after what, like 10 years of marriage, eight years of marriage, four daughters mm -hmm. and one son. I mean, it's a lot on a woman at the time, especially the queen. And then on top of that, she knew that he got it from her. Her, I want to say her brother had it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because every, no, no, everybody was inbred at no, the that, time. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So that it, actually, it's way crazier than that. They were cousins. So it, they act, the Sarina and the Sarina were cousins. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. but as far as the actual hemophilia, is that what you're talking about? Where he got the hemophilia? Yes. He did get yeah, it from so the Sarina. They called it, yeah, it came, it came from Alexandra, and they called it the royal curse. And her family descended, God, what is, what is her lineage? But she, she's from an extremely long uh, line of royal you know, families. I, I really should have She was that. Germanic. Let me just do a Google all of the Russian, yeah. all the Russian Tsarinas were Germanic, actually, yeah. for like going back okay. generations. Well, that, like, they had so many other royals from other countries in their family that it was actually easier for them to just have family, like extended family meetings if there were national issues going on, rather than let them get to the state yes. of politics and possible war. Yeah. 
Yeah, and her her family that that she came from, so hemophilia passes only onto the males in most cases. So she already knew that there was a big chance of it, and she had seen several uh, extended family members have died. Like, it, like I mean, that this was an actual curse on the royal family to the point that they called it the royal curse. So she had a feeling that her son was going to have it, and when he was born, they talked about how healthy he was right out of the womb. And she was overcome with joy that her son, because it's something that immediately you have. And most of the children die during childbirth, but she was overcome with how, you know, just lively this kid was, which was very uncommon for a child with hemophilia that she immediately knew he was okay. Well, then they cut the umbilical cord and the kid wouldn't stop bleeding. And he almost died right then and there. So she knew what she was in for. Yeah. The fact that they kept the Tsarevich hidden due for his own safety, really, and also for the safety of the royal family, because if the people found out, hey, Tsar's son probably isn't going to make it. There's a lot riding on Alexandra as soon as her son was born. She had already failed until, up until this point to give them something, and now the son is sickly? Like, the yeah. people weren't going to like that. On top of which, she was German. She was an outsider. She never really bothered to learn the Russian language. She was cold. She didn't want anything to do with the peasantry. She wanted to live in her own little world. Her and Nikki were just all about, like, keeping to themselves. Nicholas didn't give a shit about uh, state issues or anything like that. He didn't really want to be czar. It was, he said at his father's funeral, I am not ready. And it was his family that said, no, you got this. Just listen to us. Listen to your advisors. And his advisors let him down. There's a story about their wedding, what happened at it, that we can go into in a little bit. But I'm rambling now. Don't let me forget, because I would like to get to that. Would you have Stone? Just a quick plug. So I just Googled her lineage because I knew it was something crazy. And it's so much crazier than I remember. Oh, yeah. She's the fucking granddaughter of Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom. Whoa. That's where her lineage comes from. That's where the uh, royal curse comes from. What's up, Jaren? So, two quick things. One, it's just general rule. I feel like if God is mentioned too much anywhere, that rape is very close to that event. Mm. It's a good observation and fairly consistent. And I'm, fairly consistent, yeah. yeah. Um, Can't disprove it. But, uh, more solidly, too, I think it's important to note, like, I don't know a whole lot about Rasputin. I'm kind of learning a lot here, but I do know... That like at the time in World War One, like Russia really bit off more than it could chew. Like they, they did the typical Russia at war thing where they just throw as many people as possible at something and it Not ends up working. Yeah, like it does end up working. But like there were food shortages and fuel shortages and like people were pissed off already at the czars before World War One. But then World War One happens and like the king just kind of disappears after trying to dissolve the Duma, like every time it didn't go his way. And then he just yeah. disappears and leaves this like insane looking monk at the helm. <laughs> so like all of this really was kind of begging for the revolution, in my opinion. It should be noted that most people didn't know that Alexei was he was a hemophiliac. Um, and that was important because Rasputin somehow did or again, like stumbled through blind luck on something that actually helped Alexei uh, heal. Yeah. Um, and I wrote something here about how Rasputin exactly became so close to the royal family. And much of Rasputin's influence with, with the royal family stemmed from the belief by Alexandra and others that he had on several occasions eased the pain and stopped the bleeding of Tsarevich Alexei. 
It is unclear when Rasputin first learned of Alexei's hemophilia or when he first acted as a healer. He may have been aware of Alexei's condition as early as October 1906 and was summoned by Alexandra to pray for Alexei when he had an internal hemorrhage in the spring of 1907. Alexei recovered the next morning. Rasputin had been rumored to be capable of faith healing since his arrival in St. Petersburg, and the Tsarina's friend Anna became convinced that Rasputin had miraculous powers shortly thereafter. Uh, Anna would become one of Rasputin's most influential advocates. Uh, historians have speculated that Rasputin controlled Alexei's bleeding by disallowing the administration of aspirin, as you mentioned, Sterling. The simplest explanation is that Rasputin just advised the royal family to stop giving Alexei aspirin, obviously, which thins your blood, very terrible for a hemophiliac, but that also he was able to get the boy's doctor to leave him alone, and this allowed his body to heal without being poked and prodded, which apparently is important for hemophiliacs. If you just rest, if you're calm, and you don't have any kind of hustle and bustle and stress going on, you can heal better. But I think we, are, we should also note the placebo effect here. Because, like, basically, if you have your, like, picture yourself, you're this child with a medical condition that potentially threatens your life if you suffer any small injury. And there's a holy man that your parents deeply trust, in spite of the warnings of pretty much everyone they know, saying that this guy's a piece of shit and they shouldn't trust him. <laughs> and this holy man tells you that you're going to be okay you would probably be inclined to believe him and having that faith actually may help you heal uh, if what we're told about the placebo effect is actually true. So I guess just take that into account. I think that probably does the most to explain the whole mystery surrounding Rasputin and whatever claims of sorcery and faith healing he may have and also why he was so close to the royal family despite having no real qualifications other than his charisma and his piety. Um, let me go with you, Ward, and then Sterling. Yeah, real quick. The craziest thing about the placebo effect is it works even when people know it's a placebo. Yes. Yeah, and just to kind of add to Rasputin, um, one thing to keep in mind is this guy, he did kind of know his drugs. Like, he tried just about everything. Like, if there was someone who may actually know what the side effects of random any drug is, like... It may very well have been him. Like, mm -hmm. I do not rule out the potential that he walked in there and saw what they were giving him and said, oh, yeah, no, that's going to fuck this kid up. You know, it's like some of us who have done, you know, quite a few things. I can tell you side effects of very many drugs <laughs> that I've experimented with. And I know aspirin's not exactly like something recreational. We think of it so basic. But at that time, it was not s such a commodity that it was. Uh, a pretty exciting and, and hot thing at that time, it wouldn't have fucked you up, but it probably was such a, an interesting and new drug out there that he probably did familiarize himself with it, potentially even more than these, you know, bourgeois fucking doctors. Yeah. Just something I wouldn't rule out. In that same vein, let's go on. During the summer of 1912, Alexei developed a hemorrhage in his thigh and groin after a jolting carriage ride near the Royal Hunting Grounds at Spala, which caused a large hematoma. In severe pain and delirious with fever, Sarevich appeared close to death. And in desperation, Alexandra asked her friend Anna to send Rasputin, uh, who was in Siberia, a telegram, asking him to pray for Alexei. Rasputin wrote back quickly, telling Alexandra that, quote, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much, end quote. The next morning, Alexei's condition was unchanged, but Alexandra was encouraged by the message and regained some hope that Alexei would survive. Alexei's bleeding stopped the following day. Uh, Dr. S.B. Fedorov, one of the physicians who attended Alexei, admitted that, quote, the recovery was wholly inexplicable from a medical point of view. Later, Dr. Fedorov admitted that Alexandra couldn't be blamed for seeing Rasputin as a miracle man. He said, quote, Rasputin would come in, walk up to the patient, look at him, and spit. 
The bleeding would stop in no time. How could the Empress not trust Rasputin after that? <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing about, like, especially when it's like, oh, Rasputin, like, and all these predictions that he made that, like, if you read them with, like, even a halfway critical eye, it's like, yeah, that's some shit I would say if I was a con man, too. Like, yeah. This, this all just reminds me of, like, Nancy Reagan's astrologer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Like, well, like, I don't know if the astrologer just had, like, a sexual escapade around the White House, maybe. Yeah. Weekly meetings for that. Okay, so last thing about Alexei and being healed by Rasputin. Historian Robert K. Massey has called Alexei's recovery, quote, one of the most mysterious episodes of the whole Rasputin legend. The cause of his recovery is unclear. Massey speculated that Rasputin's suggestion not to let the doctors disturb Alexei had aided his recovery by allowing him to rest and heal, or that his message may have aided Alexei's recovery by calming Alexandra and reducing the emotional stress on Alexei. Alexandra believed that Rasputin had performed a miracle and concluded that he was essential to Alexei's survival. Some writers and historians, such as Pharaoh, claim that Rasputin stopped Alexei's bleeding on other occasions through hypnosis. So, can't rule it out. It was well known that Alexandra was incredibly pious. So, it could have not even been Rasputin. It could have been any number of priests or monks that they could have called in that day and just calmed her, her ass down and been like, hey, your son's fine, blah, blah, whatever. It's amazing. I know whenever my kid has been in the hospital, me freaking out, all it took was a nurse to be like, hey, it's going to be okay. I calmed down. The baby calmed down. She was fine after that. So I think that it was by sheer luck that Rasputin was there that day, right time. Happened to know the thing about the aspirin, supposedly. I honestly think that this could happen with anybody who'd shown up because it was a matter of, hey, calm your ass down. Yeah, I mean, imagine the difference in stress for a young kid who's going through an ordeal like that to have your parents freaking out as opposed to having them praying. Which praying is like a known thing, like it's very similar to meditation. Like if you just sit there and pray for a few hours, it's exactly like as if you had just sat there and did transcendental meditation or something like that. Like your brain waves act the same way. You have this sense of peace and, you know, you clear your mind and everything. You're obviously not like dicking around on your phone and causing yourself more dopamine hits. So, you know, there is something to be said for praying. So except for surgery. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you um, mentioned that. Oh, God. <laughs> OK, so I wanted to get into a little bit about this feud between Rasputin and Stalipin. And now, Joy, I know you know more about this than I do, but I'll just read some of what I have here in my notes here. Uh, So around 1910, the press started a campaign against Rasputin, who was said to have paid too much attention to young girls and women. Salipin wanted to ban him from the capital and threatened to prosecute him as a sectarian. Rasputin went on a trip to Jerusalem and came back to St. Petersburg only after Salipin's death. And so I should mention that the reason that Rasputin wasn't in town when Alexei had that fall and was like very close to death was because this was when Stolypin was like running him out of town, was telling everyone that it was telling Rasputin he was going to expose him, you know, tell everybody in St. Petersburg about all his evil raping and dastardly shit that he was doing. So he just happened to think it was a good time for him to go on some more pilgrimages. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry, just to jump on that real quick. And then um, so this, yeah, it helped him get rid of Rasputin, but it made the Tsarina look so bad because she sent him what could be perceived as love letters the entire time. I miss you. I miss you touch. I miss holding your hand and praying all these things that in the early 1900s could be seen as kind of romantic. But I mean, she didn't think anything. Oh, it's my priest, you know, whatever. But it was the fact that she was sending these and she was already not popular from the very beginning of her reign or her co-reign, I should say, that 
these just fueled the fire. That's when all of the really bad publicity came out. And even it affected her daughters as well, which is horrible. Yeah. Like, why bring the kids into it, you know? That's yeah, poor Baron Trump. Poor kid. I got something to say about that. <laughs> I just want to say, quote unquote, I miss your touch is absolutely foreplay in the early 1900s. Like, 100%. Yeah. They're showing ankle. 2020. I have a general question. So, like, obviously the Orthodox Church was unpopular amongst the peasantry before the revolution. How much do y'all think Rasputin being in the palaces and working with the royal family and all that, do you think that that like added fuel to the fire at all? Or like, how much do you think that affected the whole paradigm? When somebody has that bad a reputation, I mean, it happens in today's society. When somebody has that bad a reputation, there's like hanging around people that are supposed to be, I mean, look at, Weinstein and Trump. How many pictures were they? Do you know what I mean? It was the same situation. Like he's already known molester, rapist, partier, this horrible person, and then he's hanging around with the royal family. The Tsarina can't live without him. The Tsarevich, his whole life depends on him. It's, it didn't help anything at all, my opinion. Yeah, I, that definitely was a huge look because the Tsars were starting to get related to this kind of just you know completely detached from the regular you know people or you know, peasants and that like Lenin actually wrote on the czar family and he probably was, you know, throwing shade at Rasputin in this too, but I couldn't find anything directly where Lenin mentioned Rasputin, but this was the closest thing, which was, let's see here, uh, from tome 31 of the full collection of his works. And it says the, this is Lenin, the first revolution of, and the following counter-revolutionary error which was 1907 to 1914, revealed the essence of the czarist monarchy, pushed it to the last line, exposed all its rottenness, vileness, and the cynicism and debauchery of the royal gang with the, the monstrous Rasputin at its head. So Lenin is basically saying Rasputin's calling the shots here. All the atrocities of the Romanov family, those Pogromist. I've never heard that word. What is pogromist? Ooh. Look up uh, pogroms. Every like 30 or 40 years in Eastern Europe, they just start burning Jews. That's what that is. Oh my. Yeah. So watch Fiddler on the Roof. Those uh, who flooded Russia with the blood of Jews, workers, revolutionaries, those first among equals, he's quoting. Uh, landowners who own millions of tithes of land and going for all the atrocities, for all the crimes, for ruining and strangling any number of citizens for the sake of uh, preserving, quote-unquote, sacred property of theirs and their class. So, I mean, in, in Lenin's eyes, Rasputin may have been the one actually in charge of it all. That is the other myth surrounding Rasputin, or at least like the lore around him, is that he was actually the one calling all the shots and telling the royal family what to do, and he was running Russia at the time. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence to that effect, but that is definitely one of the things that gets said about him. All right, so add on to that. Um, the Romanovs were going down no matter what. They, from the oh, jump, yeah. like I said, they fucked up big, but... Rasputin didn't help anything. He started as a spiritual advisor for the Tsarina and the Tsarevich. But after that, when you have that much faith in somebody, you put your child's life in this person's hands. Of course, you're going to listen to him on other matters as well. That's yeah. where the Tsarina messed up. She, like, 
Mike had said earlier, he's telling them what they want to hear. They will never turn on their czar. They will never do this. They, will, they love you. Instead of listening to, what was his name again? I'm so sorry. Stolipin. Stolipin. So listen, Stolipin, hey, they're mad. They're angry. You need to do something, like right now. And after sending him away, it just made his hold on the Zarina so much stronger. Yeah, and to get back to Mike's point, like Rasputin being ran out of town, that was because the Tsarina had sent Rasputin to try to cure the ailments of Stilipin's daughter, and Stilipin caught Rasputin molesting his 16-year-old daughter. Oh my god. Yeah, I did want to update my previous comparison of Rasputin to like a televangelist and say that Rasputin would be like if you had a televangelist, but it was Jeffrey Epstein. Yep. God. That's basically who he is. So back to Stolipin. Uh, this is actually the assassination of Stolipin. So Stolipin traveled to Kiev despite police warnings that an assassination plot was afoot, as there had already been 10 attempts to kill him. On September 14th of 1911, there was a performance of Rimsky Korsakov's The Tale of Tsar Sultan at the Kiev Opera House in the presence of the Tsar and his two oldest daughters, the Grand Duchesses Olga and Tatiana. The theater was occupied by 90 men posted as interior guards. According to Alexander Spiridovich, after the second act, quote, Stolipin was standing in front of the ramp separating the parterre from the orchestra, his back to the stage. On his right were Baron Friedrichs and General Sukomlinov. His personal bodyguard had stepped out to smoke. Stolipin was shot twice, once in the arm and once in the chest, by Dmitry Bolgrov, a Jewish leftist revolutionary. Based. Sick. Bolgrov ran to one of the entrances and was caught. Stolipin rose from his chair, removed his gloves and unbuttoned his jacket, exposing a blood-soaked waistcoat. Stolipin made a gesture to tell the Tsar to go back. He never lost consciousness, but his condition deteriorated. He died four days later. And Bogorov was hanged ten days after the assassination. The judicial investigation was halted by order of the Tsar, giving rise to suggestions that the assassination was planned not by leftists, but by conservative monarchists who were afraid of Stolipin's reforms and his influence on the Tsar. However, this has never been proven. On his request, Stolipin was buried in the city where he was murdered. So they did like the reverse... Antifa are actually the conservatives right in the place. Like, would you have joined? Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, I thought you were going with like my conspiracy theory from earlier is like that Grigori with his friends that he'd already had put in the government, um, being like, hey, yo, fuck this guy. Like, he's fucking up. You need to do something about it and like spreading that around. But I like that one too, which very well could be the case. I mean, that's the, that was the, I, think, I feel like yours makes more sense. I mean, I just cribbed it from Wikipedia. I didn't, it's not like anything I came up with, but uh-huh. like either one could make sense because as we've been talking about, you have Stolipin on one hand telling the, the royal family, you know, you guys are in danger. The peasants are revolting. Like you guys should fix your shit. Uh-huh. And then you have uh, Rasputin saying, no, just keep doing what you're doing. It's all going well. Everybody loves you. It's all, all good. <laughs> it's all good. And so of course they're going to believe Rasputin. You're so. crushing it, dog. <laughs> so now let's get into, we'll, we'll get into the assassination attempt of Rasputin himself. So this is the first one. Uh, in June of 1914, a beggar woman stabbed Rasputin in the stomach, claiming he was seducing the innocent. Rasputin made a full recovery, even though he had lost a lot of blood and was close to death after the incident. And then the successful atta- assassination attempt on Rasputin, this was two years later, um, a group of nobles led by a man named Felix Yusupov plotted to get rid of the holy man once and for all. On December 30th, 1916, Yusupov invited Rasputin to dine at his home. After a heavy meal complete with wine and dessert, all supposedly heavily laden with poison, the men looked on as amazingly Rasputin showed no symptoms that the poison was having any effect on him. The men proceeded to shoot Rasputin, who, according to legend, still drew breath after a barrage of bullets and only died after he was thrown into an ice-cold river to drown. 
However, while Rasputin's death was in fact plotted by Yusupov and other nobles, autopsy reports show that no poison was found in Rasputin's system, and that he seems to have died from a single bullet to the head. And then, just this last thing here, I got this from a website, and it was funny, I had to include it. Although Rasputin was gone, the last of his prophecies was yet to unfold. Shortly before his death, he wrote to Nicholas to predict that if he were killed by government officials, the entire imperial family would be killed by the Russian people. His prophecy came true 15 months yeah. later when the star, his wife, and all of the children were murdered by assassins amidst the Russian Revolution. Lit. Did you have Sterling? If I take a shower, I'll get wet. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking prophet. Yeah, I mean, that was a real fucking easy one to call at that time, especially considering they just attempted a fucking revolution. But yeah. uh, so many urban legends exist around, you know, like the various attacks and his deaths and stuff. But one that particularly jumps out at me is there is one uh, urban legend that because, you know, they shot him in the stomach first and then he actually escaped and then they chased him down and later captured him. And then that's when they shot him in the head. But people say, and again, who the fuck knows what is and isn't true. But there is a theory out there that uh, after he escaped the first time, he ran into a local bathhouse, which is where he was known to, you know, have his quote unquote rituals. And as he got in there and he's bleeding out, someone gave him uh, marijuana. And then he's more people started coming in when they heard that Rasputin was in the bathhouse and he ended up having a ritual, having this wild orgy high as fucking shit, still bleeding out. And then, <laughs> and like it got so much attention that that's actually how they tracked him down. And as he ran out the back of the bathhouse is when they actually captured him and finally shot him in the head. So no idea if that's true or not, but I've always thought that theory was fucking hilarious. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's what's so great about Rasputin just as a character is that there's so much that's fantastical about his story. And most of it's probably not even true, but like, I feel like that's the whole reason he even gets this legendary status and gets songs about him, yeah. you know, songs written about him in the seventies or whatever. Ward loves this fucking song, dude. That, that's going to have to end the episode is that song. I hope it doesn't get us. <laughs> he made me listen to it three times. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was going to suggest like one of us just monotone read the lyrics and have that as part of the intro. I don't think that will violate DCMA like DMA or whatever. Russia's, if we just read the lyrics. Russia's greatest love machine. I think we would get just as much traction if we just tell our listeners what is the song and who sings it. Oh fuck! It, I well, don't even know. It's, it's, it's one of it's one of those super old songs that no one really wrote it. It's I had been never a, heard it until a couple weeks ago when Ward mentioned it, and now like like yeah. this. It's all right. There's so oh, it was a hit in 1978. Yeah, yeah, but it was. I mean, that was an original song, like from way before that, that someone just remade, right? I don't think that. Yeah, that was a. I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, all the way up till like there was a metal band I really fucked with, Teresis, that ended up doing this like metal cover of it that was fucking great but yeah i mean super popular song it's been redone a million fucking times every one of them a joy to listen to but yeah at the end of the day it's kind of like damn this shit is a bop but it's also like praising a fucking rapist child molester a woman abuser etc and then you're like eh, maybe this is this is definitely not a bop yeah so that, i guess that's the, probably the way to tie up rasputin just in general, is like there's a lot of mystery surrounding the guy. Most of it's unfounded. A lot of stuff that we don't know about him just because he came from a peasant class and nobody really cared who he was until he was associated with the royal family, which as Marxists, that should not surprise you that peasants and workers have no standing in history, but all yep. the royals and the wealthy people do. 
that being said, I did want to talk a little bit about the death of the Romanovs because we were Hell saying we would talk a bit yes. about the stars, and it's probably the most base moment of the podcast tonight anyway. But so the Russian imperial Romanov family, Emperor Nicholas II, his wife, Empress Alexandra, and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, were shot and bayoneted to death by Bolshevik revolutionaries under Yakov Yurovsky in Yekaterinburg on the night of July 16th, uh, 1918. Also killed that night were retainers who had accompanied them, notably Eugene Botkin, Anna Demidova, Alexei Trupp, and Ivan Karvatonov. The bodies were taken to the forest where they were stripped and mutilated. Yes, Tony. Are you going to talk about why they killed the rest of them? Because you know they didn't execute all of the Romanovs at first. They you know, obviously killed the czar, and then they kept everyone captive for quite a period of time until they thought that they might actually be rescued. And, you know, Lenin never, quote-unquote, gave a direct order. Maybe he did. No one fucking knows. But well, that's disputed, too. Yeah. I have a little bit about that because they were disputing whether Lenin was the one who gave the order to kill them all. Exactly. I mean, what I have here in the next paragraph is basically, according to the official state version of the USSR, Former Tsar Nicholas Romanov, along with members of his family and retinue, was executed by firing squad by order of the Ural Regional Soviet mm-hmm. due to the threat of the city being occupied by the White Army. Exactly. And so numerous researchers believe the execution was ordered by Vladimir Lenin, uh, Yakov Sverdlov, and Felix Derzinski. But citation needed for that one. I haven't seen any actual definite proof of that. Go ahead, Ward. I get so upset by libs that are like, oh my god, they, they murdered the children as well. Fuck, fuck it, them it's so kids. upsetting. Like, what did you think would happen if you base your whole like government and system on bloodlines? No fucking shit. That's on the monarchs. Like, one hundred percent, Ward. You couldn't have said it better. Like, if you create a government where the rule is dependent on bloodline, are you really that surprised when someone fucking ends that bloodline? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, like, what what happens historically whenever you let the heirs survive and you just exile them out of the country? The they come back like thirty years later, trying to rightfully claim what's theirs. They're I supposed, mean, uh, literally, to any liberal who's fretting over the killing of some royals, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, what do you think is happening with tax dollars that are being taken away from you today to children in Palestine with your money? Like, you mm-hmm. can donate twenty percent of your paycheck every week to charities that are pro-Palestine or anti-war, pro-human rights organizations, and you would still be paying more in taxes to fund killing those people through the American war machine. Because we all are. That's where our taxes are going. You probably pay about 23% of your income in those taxes, and that's what you're getting out of it. You're not getting helping poor people. You're not getting infrastructure for your country. You're not getting health care. You're getting killing brown people. So go ahead, Jaren. No, I mean, not at all. I quite enjoyed that. I I mean, to me, it's not just about monarchy. It's about any sort of political dynasty because of the respect that it inherently commands. And that's a huge problem that I have with politics in general. But I mean, as an example, I see a lot of liberals breathing a sigh of relief that Trump isn't president. And hopefully by 2024, he'll be too derelict and fucking old and crazy to run again. (laughs) But then it's like he has a line of children. He's got Donald Trump Jr. who's probably going to run. He's got fucking Aaron, who God knows what that kid's going to do when they're of age. But like, look at the Bushes, if that's any, you know, Prescott Bush uh, was a, a super intense industrialist that fucked up the entire world. And then his son ran the CIA and fucked up the entire world. And then his son became fucking president and fucked up the entire world. So like, even as an anarchist and an abolitionist, if you look at the red revolution and you're just like, 
you know, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, goody, those kids got killed. But it's just like, I'm not really sure what the alternative was, yeah. which sucks. It's just like a visceral, shitty part of history. But like even nowadays, you can see it in a quote unquote liberal democracy. Donald Trump is not going to be the end of that ideology and probably not even the end of his fucking Trump line. No, I mean, we barely just narrowly avoided a Clinton dynasty as well, which also yeah. still may happen. Like Chelsea could run for something. Shit. Oh, this is just the, the, the tip of the neo-lib deck. Anyway. Sorry, what do we got from the lolly household? Yeah. So, like, didn't Prescott Bush try to coup? Like, didn't he attempt a coup? I believe he was part of the business plot. Yeah. 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 Which we, that's a whole other podcast that we can do. Yeah. We'll but, yeah. The, the business plot, plot is very yeah. interesting and it's also like fought over historically. But I personally think it was probably very real. I mean, short explanation the business plot is when some American businessmen who sided pretty much with the fascist regime of Nazi Germany um, either explicitly or just on an implicit level because they were all in a very racist and far right country to begin with but they basically decided they didn't like the direction that the government was going it was getting a little too democratic a little too liberal and they were going to literally overthrow it and install a fascist regime doing like a coup in America and it didn't work out for whatever reason I think they approached Smedley Butler yep. and he was that guy the war is a racket guy and he was like that yeah, is fuck a, you guys. That's a great uh, book. I don't like you. It is. Excellent book. But I can say definitively that Prescott Bush did invest in, uh, well, he had a bunch of fuck shit, which we can actually get in the Israel episode, but he did invest in IG Farben, which is the company that manufactured Zyklon B, which is the gas that was used to kill the Jews in Germany. Mm-hmm. But that has it? absolutely nothing to do with Rasputin. <laughs> let joy go first and then i'll do mine i said two things one actually i had to go was going back to the royal family the other was something jaron said just now yeah we all know that even if trump became you know senile stark raven ain't gonna stop nothing because <laughs> look at biden he can't read a written statement <laughs> cannot read a written fucking statement you're gonna without get going episode pulled as soon as you say anything bad about biden <laughs> you know, shut you down it had to be said no you're absolutely right and then the other thing was going back to the sheer stupidity, honestly, and also the, the selfishness of the Romanovs and their entitlement. Yeah, they thought they were going to be, you know, safe, whatever. And so what they did was they sold all of their jewels, all of their heirlooms, all these things that were worth now millions of dollars into their bodices and basically created a bulletproof corset for themselves which is why it took so long for them to be killed they were out of bullets before they realized oh shit they're still alive let's bayonet them that's crazy i didn't know that which is another reason why they stripped them those clothes with all those you know diamonds and shit sewed in i mean yeah that's gonna fund the fund rebuilding russia Hell yeah, dude. And honestly, if, if the Romanov says the royal family really cared that much about Russia as they claim to, they should have been totally happy with that money, with the money, the jewels going back to Russia. Yeah, it's funny now that you say that, because when I got to the end of that paragraph, when they said, you know, the bodies were taken to the forest where they were string, stripped and mutilated, I was like, oh, Bolsheviks, not such a base thing to do. But now that you say that, they had diamonds sewn into their dresses and shit, and they were like literally bulletproof and they had the bane at them. It's like, yeah, okay, now I get it. I see why you guys did it. Not really overreacting at all. <laughs> the Is that not grand- like a metaphor, though, for the bourgeois, though? Oh, it's Just perfect. It's a true. <laughs> diamond bulletproof outfit. And it still didn't save them. No, but. Not from bayonets. The, the Archduchess 
the czar's mother was already in england had told them hey come our cousins will take care of us you need to leave russia now and they're like nah they love us our place is here in their mind they were being patriots they were caring for their country they were going to set it right and look what happened they should have listened they should have gone and so they had somewhere to go they there was a plan somebody's gonna come pick them up they had a whole boat charter yeah we're just waiting for them to release us and we're gonna head right out um no no for nothing um so just to wrap up the assassination of the royal family but so the soviet union didn't acknowledge the murder of the royal family until 1926 and this was following the publication in france of a 1919 investigation by a former white army official but it said that the bodies were destroyed and that Lenin's cabinet was not responsible. So the Soviet cover-up of the murders fueled rumors of survivors. Various Romanov impostors claimed to be one of the children, which drew media attention away from the activities of, the Soviet, of Soviet Russia. From 1938, Joseph Stalin suppressed any discussion regarding the fate of the family. Based. <laughs> to acknowledge their murders, you'd have to acknowledge them as humans in the first place. Based. <laughs> Uh, so the burial site was discovered in 1979 by an amateur sleuth. The Soviet Union did not acknowledge the existence of these remains publicly until 1989, during the Glasnost period. The identity of the remains was later confirmed by forensic and DNA analysis and investigation with the assistance of British experts. In 1998, President Boris Yeltsin described the execution of the royal family as one of the most shameful chapters in Russian history. Yeah. Fuck you, Yeltsin. It's... Fucking revisionist. Yeah. All right, so that's what I have for my notes for the night. Somebody else wants to go off on anything, you are more than welcome. Otherwise, we can start wrapping it up. Go ahead, Joy. Go back to the French Revolution. Louis XVI, he and his queen both got beheaded. The children died mysteriously while imprisoned for life. This is not something new in history. Nobody gets mad about that just because, actually, fun fact, Marie Antoinette did not say, let them eat cake. It was said at her party, and she laughed at it. But they already mm. didn't like her. Because she spoke funny French and she spent way too much money, didn't care about the people, didn't bother to try to learn anything about matter state, how to run a country, neither did her husband. And so that kind of ties into this as well. It's yeah. very mirrored. So, I mean, history repeats itself. Yeah. And for another example of this, uh, Chalabi, which was a descendant of the Iraqi monarchy that fled uh, as Saddam was coming into power. Most of our information, and when I say most, I mean, he was like the main resource for, you know, he saw weapons of mass destruction, you know, being built in the country and he saw, you know, X, Y, and Z, like literally 90% of the shit that we used to go to war with Iraq came directly from fucking Chalabi. Like all of that shit that has been debunked a million times fucking over was literally from the ex-monarchy because they, they left the fucking kids alive. And he fled and he went to fucking England and made it his fucking mission because his father, who was like actually had held power every day, just like cried over what they had lost, even though they were still in like this fucking multi-million dollar mansion. You know, his father walked across this fucking marble tile crying about what they lost from Iraq. And so Talib made it his mission that once he got older, he would uh, make sure that he was the reason that Saddam failed. And then he actually wanted to take power and the CIA more or less told him, Hey, you know, we'll you work with us, we'll work with you and we'll, you know, put you in as the new regime uh in Iraq and we we didn't care. We we all we wanted to do They would was, never do such yeah, a thing. Uh, uh, it's going fine without him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just wanted to destabilize <laughs> the region. Why would they restabilize it? 
I just think I it's funny you, to see like the Disney take on like different shit like this. So like if uh-huh. it's you based in America, the monarchs are always the bad guys. But then we get a movie like Anastasia mm-hmm. where the white army is is following her the whole time. And it's just about her trying to this, <laughs> this poor little princess trying to get the fuck up out of Russia. I never did see that movie, but I remember enough from when I was younger that it made, it was like obviously very sympathetic to the Romanovs and the royalty and everything. And at the time, I didn't think that was bad because that's, you know, just literally how all Western media is. It's always going to be sympathetic to the people in power and at best give you some kind of class conscious message, but very veiled and like coded in like, oh, we just need peace and love. or We just need a mix of socialism and capitalism, whatever bullshit they're actually going to peddle. But uh, yeah, now looking back on it, yeah, it's disgusting. Fuck that movie. It's got you. Oh, y'all are going to hate me since you just said that. I loved that movie as a kid. The soundtrack <laughs> oh, no. was banging, dude. Listen to the soundtrack. Rasputin looked super cool, even though he was the bad guy. Uh, obviously, really put in they that whole mystical black magic. No, look up a look it up. Just look it up. No, he was but, the bad guy um, in Hellboy, too. What? No, but I think it's interesting what you said about uh, Western media. That's why I wanted to say. And also the soundtrack. But um it shows at the very beginning, the very opening. They had these huge, talking about these huge grand parties. Everybody's dressed to the nines. It's beautiful. It's graceful. Everybody's happy, smiling. And then the white army shows up and just starts ripping shit. Definitely sets them in a bad light right from the beginning. Doesn't say any history, anything like that. And then it goes to her, oh, I must be, she's, she thinks that she's not on a stage at the beginning, but that, you know, she's never this whole story, whatever. And then at the end, she doesn't even stay as she runs off with a poor kid. Like, Oh, this guy, this con man, I'm going to go live with him forever and be for happy forever after or whatever. But what I just thought, make the white army seem like the good guys. Or I mean, the bad guys, does it? Yes. Yes. At the very beginning, uh, it goes from like, Walt so does, does it and portray all the shit. red army in a good light. It doesn't portray any army in the good light. It shows rush the Russian people, the, proletariat if you will it shows them as dirty and sad and miserable and angry oh, and it okay. shows the military either one it doesn't really specify because again it's for kids yeah. but it shows them as these murderers they're just hurting people for no reason so it's yeah. a centrist movie everybody's bad if you believe yeah. in anything strong yeah bad. <laughs> yeah basically Except the monarchy yeah. it shows it shows <laughs> communist russia as this dank dirty place that's so just i mean it's the industrial period everybody's gonna be dank and dirty oh it's pretty dank they're just as yeah. bad as the fascists if you kill the fascists <laughs> exactly exactly and everybody like and then throughout the movie as she gets farther and farther from russia it starts showing you know brighter colors she gets a beautiful dress the closer she gets to france oh and God. in france everything's popping like yeah it's great and at the end of the movie and Rasputin shows up again, that little piece of Russia is when everything goes back to being shit. And so it definitely paints Russia in a bad light hmm. post the uh, raid on the Winter Palace. Wild. So Walt Disney, this incredible tyrant of racism, did not paint Russia in a positive light? <laughs> what? Surprising. <laughs> Pikachu face. Just giving you my take on it. But that movie made me want to learn more about Russian history. And that's when I realized, oh, the Romanovs were stupid. That's fascinating. They, it wasn't even, they, they were criminally negligent because of their stupidity. And they're just like total naivety of the world and the world around them, their own country, their yeah. own people. So I kept talking about before, like, yeah, no, that was bad from the jump. So at his, I had mentioned it earlier, 
Nikki never wanted to be czar. He didn't think he was ready. His family, his family, his wife really drilled it into him like, hey, God chose you. You were meant to do this. You were born, you know, the whole spiel, whatever. And then at the time, they had this tradition where as a wedding gift to the people, they would give out sausages and bread and cheese and things that Russia at the time direly needed anyway. They started distributing this food, these little gifts for the kids, whatever. The uncle who was in charge of their army at the time, the soldiers, didn't deploy enough to keep everything under control. And when you have hungry people giving something free, it's going to get out of control. Yeah. It's human nature. It's like, yo, I want this. I need this. Everybody showed up. They were not expecting the amount of peasantry to show up to it at the times that they did. The field was not well kept. And it just very quickly turned into, hey, you over there is a T-shirt toss. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, a paper towel toss. Exactly. And so then people are like, oh, look, it's like bridesmaid at a freaking wedding. Like, oh, hey, I'm going to jump over these 10 people to grab that. <laughs> and it just very quickly just devolved into a bloody massacre. No shots were fired or anything like that that I remember. But people died. People were hurt because of their wedding. So that's already a bad omen to an orthodox uh, believer. That, uh- how was that communism's fault? That had to have been communism's fault. Not yet. The people were fighting over food. Right? Not yet. Um, it was because there was it's a famine. Retconned. Yes. Mm. It was. It was a fam- It was a famine's fault because that has nothing to do with you know uh, politics. <laughs> but where they fucked up after that was instead of holding off on the wedding parties because you know anytime a world wedding shit has to pop off. It's gonna like huge parties. What would have been smart and what most people would think to do like hey, let's go check on our people, get some FaceTime. I'm so sorry this happened. How can we help you? Let's give you some free health care. Let's uh, make sure that everybody is good to go. Let's make sure this never happens again. The uncle who didn't deploy enough soldiers in the first place was like, nah, it's a sign of weakness. Why are you going to do that? Why are you going to apologize? You're the czar. And it was what really like started off the whole, hey, maybe the Romanovs aren't that cool. <laughs> And it very quickly devolved after that. Nikki and uh, Alexandra were not popular due to the fact that they were very quiet. They were not necessarily timid, but they liked their own space. They Mm. didn't like going out. He didn't like handling, you know, Russia and his issues. He wanted to leave that to whoever while he went and played with his kids. I mean, I get it. But I mean, you also have a whole country you're running, bro. Like you need to. Maybe don't be a monarch. Like if that's not. (laughs) Exactly. You You can can step down. You have cousins. They could have died. You could have been out in the countryside. That's what always gets me. Like when I think about even today when like people will try to pull that shit and it's very obviously cynical, but they'll try to pull that shit like when they defend rich people and they use like woke language, especially to do it and say, oh, you're being really like richest or something like you're being very like, uh, I hope like prejudiced. Yeah, you're being very bigoted against these wealthy people. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not something that they can't help. Like, it's not like they're disabled in some way. You could easily give up all your money if it's really that bad for you. But I noticed that you're not doing that. So it must not be all that bad. Like he knew he wasn't a good czar. He knew that he wasn't ready. He said it to his cousin at his father's funeral. But he chose to do it anyway because somebody told him he was born to do it. What? No. So after that, and it didn't help that, like I had said before, Alexandra was cold. She didn't like speaking Russian. She didn't want to be there. She was very polite. She was never like, you know, like, nah, fuck Russia. But she was like very to herself. She had a few friends that she'd hang out with. Her and the czar would have dinner at a friend's house once a week. Like they just blow off whatever they should have been doing. Just go over there, bottle of sherry, chill. 
they just weren't good leaders and but they were never really taught to be leaders just like again going back to the french revolution marie antoinette was taught how to be in polite society she was never taught to rule louis the 16th was too busy worrying about his fucking clocks like it was just one of those things like oh you were born to do this it's in your blood you got this no that's not how that works dude if you want to like, real trip, go into our monarchism and there are people who unironically think that monarchism is a good system of government what the they exist fuck? they're here now in 2021 and they're yes. really obsessed with following all the family lines like they really love all the monarchies that still exist and tracing back their lineages and everything and then if you ask them they That's legit believe wild. that like it's a good system of government because you have people who are brought up from a very young age with a sense of leadership and taught how to run a country and they think that that's better than just democratically electing people who are charismatic and win a quote popularity contest according to them and it's i mean like it's brain melting like they are just the smoothest brain people i've ever seen it, they're literally volunteering to be cucks just like please cuck me more because i just can't handle ruling myself on my own yeah like who's the ghoul fucking guy that just died Yo. yeah him like they were the only subreddit that was like oh rest in peace yeah yeah like, they're, so, they're so sad good night sweet prince he was so young too soon all right so let's wrap it up there i guess just in closing to say about rasputin it sounded like the royal family was not doing so well they were kind of on a downward spiral and he just if anything helped that along so more power to him from that but fuck him because he's a rapist and just a shitbag overall so don't worship rasputin don't stand the guy i don't know trying to just like shed some light on all the mysterious stuff around him and uh talk about him as a character but overall yeah fuck rasputin fuck the royal family they would have died with or without him because they'd already Regardless. they'd been fucked from the jump and fuck all royal families all monarchs. Yes. Mm-hmm. All. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. all right. That being said, let's wrap it up. Joy, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything you want to promote or plug or anything like that? Thank you for having me. Um, get back to me. I got well, a lot of shit. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome on any time. You want to talk about some monarchists and shit on them with us? It was great. I tell what to plug, so he'll do it eventually. Lord, you got to re say that. Oh, um, I saw what to plug, so he'll accuse it <laughs> to eventually. I don't know. Can't no. do it. Hey, go, My ahead. Bad. go ahead and say his social security number too. <laughs> What's funny is like Ward is actually his name and is not like <laughs> use his name. <laughs> shithead. Shithead. Okay, okay. We can work with that. I'm so sorry. Right, Leave it out. Uh, we'll get to the plugs since Sterling is chewing. Jaron, you want to plug your website? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Jaron Perlman, J-A-R-O-N-P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com. And you can purchase either one of my books there. All the profits are going to beloved Asheville uh, to try and help house the homeless here. Nice. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. Sterling, I'll let you continue chewing. We'll get back to you in a second. Where do you want to plug your Instagram? Uh, yeah, I got two. At Ward Lawley, W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y. And at Millennial Leptis, common spelling. Based. Sterling, you want to plug the Twitter? Yeah, I'll plug the Twitter. At Turn Leftist Pod. Uh, come on there. I'll, I'll get more active. Come chill with me. Also, we got tons of t-shirts. Go on our uh, link tree, Turn Leftist, or any of our social medias and click the link tree and uh, scoop you up a t-shirt. Uh, they piss off conservatives real bad. Oh, um, any developments we can mention our next t-shirt design? Any uh, updates on that? So I talked to the artist. He said he's going to get back to me. He's in a different country and he speaks real broken English. So it's like, I never really truly get what he's saying, but he'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yes, buddy coming soon. And then it's like a week. Nah, comrade. Yeah. And I'm just like, what oh. country is it? 
I have no idea. Kazakhstan. I, I honestly don't know. Like, I've never been able to pinpoint him. Like, he doesn't really like talk about any of his personal stuff on his Instagram. He just shares artwork. And every time I talk to him, he's got this broken English, but I can never pinpoint from where. He, he says brother a lot. So it's either Hulk Hogan or a Muslim country. So, but it's what if it's like Middle Eastern Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that that would fucking rule, brother. Um, Iron Sheik. But yeah, it's it's gonna be a sick design. It's going to be trickle down economics with a guillotine on top of stone steps with uh, billionaire heads rolling down it. And we've we picked a few of our favorite billionaires to. Uh, oh yeah, buddy. Join in on on this design. So I can't wait know, for that one. Go ahead and join our Patreon now before we all get fucking flagged by the CIA and end up in jail. I did want to real quick, I'm just going to read off our patrons just to give them a shout out and thank you guys so much. Uh, They're Grace, Aaron, Kyle, Jean-Claude Manhans, Mail, Phil, Karl Marx, and Jay Reese. So thank you guys so much for helping us out. We really appreciate it. And we will have uh, premium content coming soon. Uh, I apologize for that, that it hasn't happened, but we are working out our schedule and that should be coming sooner rather than later. I know I've been saying that for several weeks, but it is coming. And then in the meantime, if you want to check out a plug for Cosper, their Twitch, that's twitch.tv slash Cosper, C-O-S-P-E-R underscore. And then I will also plug our link tree, check out link tree slash turn leftist. And I should mention that that has all of our links to everything else that we plug. Sterling's Twitter, Jaren's website, Ward's Instagram, my Instagram, Cosper's Twitch, our Discord, Patreon, and I think I even put in there our email. I, I don't think I've ever mentioned that. Like, you guys can just reach us directly. You can just email turnleftistpodcast at gmail.com and tell us directly how much you hate or love our podcast. And we will block you or thank you accordingly. So, oh, yeah. Did you say Jean Claude Man Hands? I did. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that fucking rules. We got Jean Claude right? Man Hands and Karl Marx. I mean, what else? Do you <laughs> I have do? one guess who uh, that is. Well, I'm sure you, don't, you know them in the Discord. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Check us out next time. Tell a friend if you like it. Tell an enemy if you don't. I don't know. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. Good night. See y'all later.